This is Jonathan Armstrong from Cordray, and thank you for joining us for this week's Tech Law 10. My colleague Eric Sinrod is over there at Dwayne Morris in the U.S., and this week I think TLAs have been exciting you. That's the three-letter acronym for three-letter acronyms, and in particular, the TLA CDA. What's that about, Eric? <laughs> okay, and I'll mention that as we uh, begin this podcast, today is the last day of the Obama administration, and tomorrow's the first day of the Trump administration. So without getting all political, we'll just be curious to see when we have our next podcast how the world has changed, uh, if much at all. So let's just if have that have as a little podcast. If we have a next <laughs> podcast. I hope, you're, I hope you're not signaling that this is, you know, this is the end of the world as we know it. Uh, hopefully not. Okay. <laughs> and you know so what? We're gonna the actually... podcasts under mm. Trump are going to be so much better. They're going to they're, they're they're be much better. Just trust me. They're <laughs> going to be much better, these podcasts. Oh, well, okay then. And they've already been so good, right? <laughs> Onward and upward. And we're getting close to uh, 200. What number are we on today, Jonathan? What is it, 190 perhaps? It must be something <laughs> like that. You talk, I'll yeah. find out. All right, so let's, let's get into it. So today we're talking about uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And this particular provision generally grants broad immunity to Internet service providers, ISPs, with respect to third-party content posted on those ISP websites. And I don't know if you've uh, dug into it yourself, Jonathan, but the legislative history behind CDA Section 230 makes plain that our Congress really intended uh, in the early days of the uh, commercial Internet to have it flourish for businesses and the U.S. economy, and the intent would be thwarted, that intent, that legislative intent would be thwarted if ISPs had the onerous duty to police and somehow regulate information and communications posted on their site by others uh, who the ISPs actually do not control. Okay, so that happened. Uh, but um, as we've seen, there have been efforts over the years in legal cases to chip away at this broad immunity afforded to ISPs by Section 230 of the CDA. And we had a notable uh, recent legal case called John Doe Number 1 versus Backpage.com LLC. And this was probably the most recent and significant effort to start blowing holes through that big wall called Section 230. Uh, this particular case, Jonathan, was filed in federal court in Boston uh, in 2014 by several young women who accused Backpage.com of having facilitated, unfortunately, their forced prostitution. How? Well, the allegation was that this happened via classified advertisements uh, posted within the escort section of the Backpage.com site. And the plaintiffs alleged that they were, quote, repeatedly forced as minors to engage in illegal commercial sex transactions, close quote, in Massachusetts and Rhode Island when they were as young as the age of 15 by pimps who advertised on Backpage.com. All right, so what happened? So the case uh, proceeded once the United States Court of Appeals for the First Circuit. So I don't really need to tell you about the trial court proceedings. And the appellate court there, the First Circuit, sided with Backpage.com, agreeing 
that this particular ISP was immune from liability under Section 230 of the CDA as to those classified advertisements posted by others uh, on its site. Well, that wasn't the end of it, of course. Uh, the young women plaintiffs then sought review by the United States Supreme Court. And as our listeners probably know, you really generally don't have a mandatory right to have your case heard by the United States Supreme Court. You file a writ for a petition, well, a petition for a writ of certiorari, and even though thousands of those are filed every year, many thousands, the Supreme Court takes up only a handful, maybe uh, close to 200 cases a year. I haven't done a recent count, but the last time I looked, it was uh, under that number. So not many cases. Um, but in seeking review, uh, these young women plaintiffs took the position that in the context of Section CDA, uh, Section 230, um, that it was frankly being improperly relied upon to prevent enforcement of federal and state statutes designed to thwart human trafficking. And that mm. Section 230 even could be used to get in the way of attempts to stop racketeering and terrorism. So on the one hand, Jonathan, you have this um, federal statutory provision, Section 230 uh, of the CDA, protecting ISPs, but then you have other laws, federal and state other laws, preventing human trafficking, racketeering, and potentially terrorism. And so what do you do? Um, and the plaintiffs also then tried to hook Backpage into liability by pointing out that Backpage is profiting from all of this, and therefore it should be responsible for the content on its site, at least in this egregious context. And this is, again, an effort to start chipping away at Section 230 so it's not omnibus across the board. Yeah. What happened? Okay, because we're talking about a case that started in 2014. Well, just very recently, here in 2017, uh, the United States Supreme Court declined to review the case. They denied the petition for the writ of certiorari. Uh, what does that mean? It means the Supreme Court's not going to hear it. It leaves intact the decision by the First Circuit Court of Appeal in favor of Backpage under Section 230 of the CDA and giving it immunity for these postings. Um, the, uh, now let's, let's, let's look about, let's think about what would have happened the other way. Had the Supreme Court accepted the case and then later ruled in favor of the young women and against Backpage, Jonathan, it really could have had potentially broad implications for ISPs. And you can bet that the tech community was really watching this case closely. Yeah. Uh, that, that did not happen. This particular attack against Section 230 immunity uh, for ISPs uh, did not succeed. And then before I turn it over to you for thoughts across the pond, I'll just say it's worth noting that Backpage.com has been in the crosshairs of the United States Senate and has faced various civil lawsuits relating to alleged facilitation of sex trafficking, and in particular with respect to children, uh, according to a recent Reuters article that I read. Um, so that's what I had to say on that, and uh, let's see what Jonathan has to say in response. No, I, I think it's very interesting, and um, it seems to me that there have been similar moves in Europe that have gone both ways, I think. I can think off the top of my head of quite an old case, I believe against Yahoo. If I was guessing, I'd guess 2003, 2004-ish, relating to Nazi memorabilia, which was in some respect right. similar where the, uh, the the provider in this case said, you know, effectively we we 
function a, little, a bit like a classified ad service, and, and, and we have no means of uh, or, or willingness, if you like, to look through the content and decide which we find distasteful and which not. And, and I believe the French ruling was somewhat uh, similar to what the plaintiffs were arguing in your case, that they said, well, yeah, that's true, except for uh, egregious conduct that's covered by other laws and, and, and the prohibition against selling Nazi memorabilia in, in France is, is such a rule. And then I, I believe that case may have been overturned on appeal, although, as I say, my memory of what happened well, two years ago. Uh, and, and then, of course, we, we had more recently the, the case involving Peter Fleischer, the, the Google uh, privacy, chief privacy officer in Italy, over uh, with similar arguments were, were raised there in criminal proceedings relating to content that YouTube uh, allegedly should have monitored that was on the service in Italy. And I think we do get these tensions from time to time, and much the same arguments are raised around the right to be forgotten, for example, which we've talked about before, where mm -hmm. uh, particularly U.S. Uh, uh, site hosts have said, well, we have the equivalent of the mere conduit defense. Uh, you know, we don't have liability for the content. And in any event, we're a U.S. corporation, so we're not in jurisdiction. And I think that latter argument is falling down almost repeatedly now by people saying, yes, but you're taking advertising revenue in the jurisdiction, therefore mm -hmm. you are really in the jurisdiction. And, of course, for most Internet plays, they are going to take advertising revenue from anyone who comes uh, along with it, and, and they've, they've no ability to control who's paying them, let alone the content on the site. So I think you're probably right that whilst this case has gone against the plaintiffs, my suspicion is this is going to be a live issue again in the years ahead. There's certainly moves across the board to put more pressure on social media sites in particular to police the content that's on their network. You know, fake news, for example, if we look yeah. at that, the uh, social media sites in Germany are under considerable pressure to try and read the news that's on their network. Now, that seems to me to be a Herculean task. If you yeah. think of the amount of content that's posted every day, I know that Facebook has said that they're going to trial almost like a verified tick system like you might find for an official account on, on Twitter. They, I think they, I believe they're going to trial a system like that in Germany. But I think this is going to be a year when we're going to see real pressure on site mm -hmm. hosts to police the content that is on their site and, and, and absent some great technology, that's going to be a very challenging, uh, challenging task for all of them. Yeah, you make a good point about the whole fake news issue because it's important. But the reason why Section 230 was put in place by uh, Congress here, as I said earlier, was because it just be so onerous and difficult for these ISPs to police all the you know, millions of items put on their sites every day. Let's remember, I think Facebook membership's almost up to 2 billion people posting, and many people posting a lot every single day the largest nation in the world by headcount, far exceeding China now. And that Yahoo case, 
I'm glad you brought that up, and I'll try to be short because I know we're probably at our 10 or a little beyond. But, you know, there are international implications because what happened in the Yahoo case was, you know, France does have a prohibition on, uh, you know, to trying to sell or display Nazi paraphernalia. That happened in the wake of World War II. Uh, then that was happening on Yahoo France. Uh, and there was a case that took place in France and one that took place here in Silicon Valley. Not surprisingly, the judge, but not surprisingly, the judge in Silicon Valley, relying on Section 230, said, Yahoo, you're not responsible for, for that. The French court said, yes, you are. Yahoo took the position in the French proceeding that it should only have to seek to remove that context from it, content from its Yahoo France site. Uh, uh, the plaintiff took the position, no, you have to remove it from Yahoo worldwide, and the French court agreed. Ultimately, uh, there was a resolution, and I, I believe that Yahoo uh, made efforts to remove uh, the paraphernalia in a satisfactory way for the plaintiffs. So it all sort of wraps up. But you had courts in different countries going different ways with respect to the same content. And as we know, the Internet is the World Wide Web. So information and communications that show up in one country will show up elsewhere, and we have different laws. So even though we might have our Congress enact a provision here, what's the effect somewhere else? Maybe a topic for another day. Uh, great yeah, comments, no, Jonathan. Great point. And bringing it up to date, of course, some 14 years later, somebody removed all the content from Yahoo. That's another story. <laughs> oh, well, it looks like, folks, we're going to have a lot to say to you in 2017. Uh, we're, looking, we're looking forward to, to seeing you next week, or at least hearing from us next week. Uh, hopefully, as I said, uh, things will be orderly and not too chaotic uh, with the transition. Okay. I am Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris in San Francisco. My email is ejsinrod at duanemorris.com. You can find us on the usual social media outlets. I don't think any problems with uh, Section 2 to 2.30 uh, for us. Um, so I'll turn it over to Jonathan for the ultimate closing. Yeah, thanks very much. I'm jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. Uh, a rare plug, actually. I'm speaking in New York on cybersecurity this coming Monday, so the first Monday of the Trump administration. If anyone's at the New York State Bar Association conference, it's always nice when people walk up and talk to us about the podcast. So if you are there at the conference, don't be shy, come and chat. And uh, we'll probably speak to you in a week or so. Always happy to receive your topics. Do check us out on LinkedIn. And by the way, if you don't know, we haven't mentioned this for a while, you can download Tech Law 10 on iTunes. So you are right, Eric. It is episode 190. Hmm. Uh, you just find us by typing in Tech Law 10 to the uh, iTunes store, and then you can have them automatically downloaded onto your Apple device if that's your device of choice. Um, so do connect with us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter. iTunes is fine too. Rate us if you like there. And um, we'll speak to you in a week or so. Meantime, thank you. And more podcasts of the Bicentennial. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, bye.